this fictional branding and non-fictional. Now, I'm assuming the personal self, but then you also have your professional self. How do you choose when to embrace that nonfiction versus your fiction? Well, I'm, I'm telling you as an individual, you don't ever fictionally brand yourself. I don't try to come off better than I am. I embrace who I am. What are you talking about? Everybody does. Like world's best-selling author. Like how many are there? <laughs> well, exactly. And, that, and that's where I go. Number one. You're listening to a podcast that encourages you to embrace your vulnerabilities and authentic self. This is your transformation station. And this is your host, Greg Favaza. <laughs> DP, welcome to your transformation station. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on, Greg. Do you prefer Greg or Gregory? I appreciate you asking. Greg's fine. Okay. Well, it's important because if you're building a personal brand, you need to literally defend your brand name every single day. So if you're Greg, I want to make sure that I'm not calling you Gregory. Jeez. I, that, I mean, that's a good point to make. Like I've always, anything that requires like my name on paper. I've always done Gregory Favaza, but when I'm talking with somebody, I just prefer Greg. And I don't know, is there any psychology behind that? Is there any reason that I should be taking that into consideration? Well, I don't know if it uh, there's any psychology, but from a branding perspective, Gregory is a lawyer. Greg is a guy sitting next to you having a beer. So which do you want to be perceived as? You know, literally, I had this conversation. A friend of mine was having a baby, and they said, I'm thinking of calling him Charlie. And I said, well, you know, you might not want to do that because if Charlie, your cute little boy, becomes a judge, he might want to be known as Charles. Mm -hmm. And so my advice to you would be give him the full name, Charles, and he can be called Charlie by everybody. And he can even have that on his business card if he elects to. But by calling himself Charles, he at least has that opportunity to be elevated as a brand, as a personal brand, if you will. And you can elect to become something less than that. And even that story becomes a great branding story, which is, yes, my full name's Gregory, but you can call me Greg. Why? Because we're buddies and we just met. Isn't that a real nice, warm, intimate, friendly story that may be perfectly reflective of the personal brand that you actually are? Wow. Like, I never took it in that consideration, but I've, through, like, TV shows, through, like, little examples doing my reports and online classes, they'll be like, Greg has such and such, or my my uncle Greg. Like, it just sounds like a shitty name. Like, when you say it like that, but when you look at it, like, Gregory. Yes. Well, like uh, the old uh, superstar Hollywood actor, Gregory Peck. Ah, yes. One of the reasons that I, I don't even know if that's his real name. It could be a Hollywood name. But look at the structure of the name. Gregory. Three syllables. Peck is a single syllable. It's designed to be rhythmically and poetically interesting. Gregory Peck. Peck is manly. It's like a punch in the face. Yeah. But Gregory is sophisticated. So if I'm looking at the name Gregory Peck and getting a brand feeling from it, mm -hmm. oh, he's a sophisticated punch in the face, which is, his, you know, exactly the kind of actor he was, which was 
yes, I can be very suave and debonair, yes. but push comes to shove, I'm the army guy on Pork Chop Hill that's facing the hordes of uh, Koreans or Chinese coming up to try to kill us. And by the way, that is one of his self-produced films, Pork Chop Hill. So Gregory Peck. In that case, he was more Peck than Gregory. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So how long have you been doing um, anything with the audio business? Just because how we're having this conversation, you flow naturally. Like you can just hit it. So how long have you been doing this? Well, uh, my podcast, the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, is on episode 224, I mm-hmm. think, this coming week, which is we're recording the first week of uh, September 2023. Uh, and... Actually, this leads into a a huge recommendation, which is if you want to be a better public speaker, do a podcast and edit it yourself. Why? Because you will hear every um, every well, every like that you do, and you'll become so sensitive to them that you'll do what I do, which is I'm not afraid to have a pause if I'm thinking about something. Rather than fill it with the, um, like, uh, well, the second you can get rid of those things, you seem more authoritative, you sound better, and consequently people respect you more or pay more attention to you or assign you more authority. And that's exactly what you should be doing. So long-winded answer to your question, but the answer is, well, it didn't hurt that I have a degree in theater and I was an on-camera actor and a voiceover person and stuff like that for years. But the thing that really made me a better speaker, presenter, talk, uh, networker even, Mm -hmm. is doing a podcast and editing it myself because my God, do you know how painful it is to cut out somewhere around 100 ums in an episode? I've I've dealt with that and I spend hours and I got to the point where if it's happening, I'm just going to let it happen. And that's something that I need to adjust on the spot as time progresses. I mean, as a leader, when we are giving a public speech, there's, there's no moment to edit what we just say. It's just what we have, we have to go with what we're feeling and let it flow. And it flows how it's supposed to, then you are ready for that point. But if you If it doesn't, then you still need to work on yourself. Yeah, and face-to-face, having those type of human cues is fine. Everyone's going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But when it comes to like a podcast, people don't put up with crappy-sounding podcasts. They'll put up with crappy video if the content's good. Mm -hmm. But I don't know about you, but I've listened to podcasts that sound like it was... uh, recorded in an airstream trailer with all sorts of reverb and bounce and reflections and i can't stand it so i'll just turn it off so when it comes to a podcast you really need to to clean things up and by the way i have a pro tip for you beautiful if you want a super easy way to cut the ums just the ums out of your podcast descript i don't know if you know descript.com yes okay they have a remove filler words feature which for the free level and I'm and I'm so cheap I only do the free level sorry you can remove it will remove ums and the cool thing is you upload your mp3 file mm-hmm. it does a transcript of everything 
it can then show you exactly how many ums you have. And you'll be amazed between you and your guest how many ums are created. And it has a feature where it will literally cut the ums out, but you can set it so it leaves the gap. So my pro tip for you is one, use Descript.com to identify the ums, delete them, but leave the gap. Mind the gap, leave the gap in. Because if you don't leave the gap in, it cuts the um out. And that um is typically done on a transition phrase. Like if we are talking about what we are going to do later today. So I thought we could go to the zoo um, and maybe get something to eat afterwards. If you take out that um and you literally truncate the space between the two phrases, I thought we could go to the zoo and get a bite to eat. Sometimes sounds good, but a lot of times you want that. I thought we could go to the zoo and then we could get a bite to eat. Leaving the gap in there is a very human thing to do. And it doesn't feel like it was cut out by AI. Like there's some Mm -hmm. audio AI tools out there now that can do this stuff. Mm -hmm. Every time I use them, it sounds like it was cut out by a robot because that's exactly what it is. Yes, it's referred as the pregnant pause. I had a voiceover guy come on. Uh, I think it's episode 12 with Jim McCarthy, and he emphasized that moment of silence and how it builds up the anticipation of what's going to come next. And along with a a lot of, uh, try not to say, you said, um, so I'm like, why is that registering in my head all of a sudden? But uh, I think it's with a couple radio hosts, Howard Stern, they would do that uh, pregnant pause and then also some crazy ass theatrics that would lead you wanted to know what's next. So that's, that's well, exactly. You brought it and, up. Yeah. And when, when I do a podcast, when I'm editing a podcast, I'm listening like a musician, not like, um, I don't know, a robot that's just looking for perfection. I don't want perfection. I want performance. And that's key. Be like, if you ask me about modern pop music, I'll say it's too perfect. It feels like it's been polished and steel wooled down to absolute sheen and that's not the type of music i want to listen to i like who's your audience are they are they musicians no no my audience for the nonfiction brand is just anybody who's interested in developing a brand for their small business or themselves it we talk a lot a lot about personal branding because that is a huge thing and Frankly, if you're not personally branding yourself right now, you're in trouble because the only thing that separates us from the coming AI overlords that are going to take up a whole ton of jobs is the fact that we are humans and we have a an innate sense of humanity and what makes things warm, emotional, interesting and engaging that frankly, AI is going to have a lot of trouble with for a period of time. Mm -hmm. Right now, the only reason to hire me to do anything instead of hiring AI to at least give you a rough draft that you then polish is the fact that, oh, I like him. I like the way he thinks. I like the way he provokes me to think differently about what I'm talking about or what I'm trying to market or brand for myself. and. By leaning into your humanity, frankly, it's the only way to fight the coming AI overlords that so are, then frankly, let's backtrack are already then. here. Let's backtrack. You said lean yeah. into the humanity of being human 
but you're cutting out all the ums and uhs. Like, I get that, but wouldn't you want to embrace that authenticity of well, the conversation? Because wait, we're, we're there's still plenty. Yes, yeah, there's because we got to take the perspective of, of who's listening, and they want to know that you are humanized, that you do have flaws and mistakes, that you can be relatable. Believe me, you're still going to have plenty of cues that make you relatable and all stuff and all that stuff. Witness the fact that I just kind of mangled a, a sentence. Yeah, you did. There you go. Bring it up. You know, it the other thing is the crosstalk. We had a little bit of crosstalk going in. Mm-hmm. I leave the crosstalk in because that indicates that, wow, this conversation is exciting so much so that both people are trying to get in on the conversation. And mm-hmm. that's the way people talk. We don't talk like A talks, pause. B talks, Mm -hmm. A talks, pause, B talks. No, we, A is on top of B, B, and that creates excitement and that kind of human imperfection I talk about when talking about music. Let's face it, I would rather hear a a blues band in a bar that's, you know, kind of really having fun and making a lot of, not mistakes, but choices that are like not perfect choices then listen to the modern pop music, which is just so, uh, you know, over whiskey and Coke. Yeah. 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 There you go. E- exactly. Um, I don't know if you are, uh, if you listen to the music of Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas, who is her main producer, but they go through and they do what's called a composite. They do multiple takes and then they listen to the exact perfect word from take one, put that in there. But they like yeah. the way they said the second word from take 15. So they put that in there. And the whole thing, not a single part of it is through composed or through performed. And through composing is when you compose not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out. But through composing is like the work that Stephen Sondheim did in his musical uh, productions. It goes all the way through, mm-hmm. and it's performed top to tail and yes. complete with mistakes. Because sometimes those mistakes are the thing that makes it. I mean, I used to do that. That takes a lot of effort and time, and I'm a perfectionist, so it's dangerous for me to go down the path that you're walking as far as creating the perfect audio, because that could take Days. Oh, and I, I don't do that. <laughs> Believe me, when I say take out the ums, I'm not saying make it perfect because yeah, the listen noise to in any the of my podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I, if, if there's something going on, my dogs are barking. Okay, you know, I, I do everything possible to try to minimize that possibility. But if it is like it, if my dogs start barking on an important point that my guest is making. Am I going to get rid of the important point my guest is making because the dogs are barking? No. I might make a comment about, oh, shut up, guys. Mm-hmm. And that would be perfectly human because we're all faced with that situation. It's like that kid that walked in on the dad as he's on a news program. And he, I don't know, you remember that meme, a British guy, I think on BBC News or something like that, where he's got this very serious conversation going on about, some kind of global situation and his little daughter comes walking in and you go, and it was charming because, Oh my God, I've been there where I'm trying to make a really professional point. And then I realize, 
oh, I've got something in my teeth, you know, that kind of, I'm human, which by the way, (laughs) AI can't do, they can't ever be human. And, but the funny thing is in the future, and this is a prediction in the future, AI will do perfectly imperfect things to try to be more human in its responses. And that's the scary, interesting thing. I believe that. So like you, we touched on a lot of good points, you know, with understanding the human aspect of virtual lifestyles. I mean, what would lead, if for a leadership standpoint perspective, how can they, what, what things can they do to apply to remember that sense that you're talking to somebody that's in their own home, that, that they have a world there. They're not inside the organization. Well, one of the things that a lot of people do, and a lot of brands do this as well, they identify a single person that they're talking to or a single audience member, call it an avatar. A lot of brands will call it their brand avatar, Mm -hmm. where if you're a company that makes fishing equipment, you have in your head an actual picture of the perfect buyer of your product or service, Mm -hmm. and then you act like you're addressing them in everything you do. You know, you can see this all the time with brands that are are very clearly indicating who their audience is and they play to that audience. That's a really powerful way to do it because then you're speaking. The words you choose are predicated on the person you think you're talking to. You know, if if you're Gregory and you're talking to a, an audience of postgraduate doctoral candidates, you're going to use different words than if you're, ta- if you're Greg talking to a guy on the deck of a bass boat as you're out there trying to catch those big old lunkers and bring them in. You got a bass boat? No, I don't, <laughs> but I'm in Wisconsin. I'm in Wisconsin, the land of 15,000 lakes. Thank you very much, Minnesota. <laughs> No, I, I grew up on a boat, so I, I, I love going out into the, the water. We would actually go boating on the Mississippi. My parents would like to just dock it, sit on the beach. Places, the water's nasty. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Mississippi's really gross. But yeah. I would enjoy that as something for the family growing up. And one of the things that we would do is go tubing and stuff. But other than that, it was a good bonding experience out of oh, yeah. all the other crazy shit. Absolutely. And, and by yeah. the way, tubing... That's a Greg thing, not a Gregory thing. Gregory's yeah. on the golf course. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Like there's, it's almost like the the post version and the future version. Of, well, of and it's, it's also r- very much related to the brand that you are because I teach, uh, or the thing I talk about ad nauseum is what I call nonfiction branding. Uh, and there's a whole story with how I came up with that, which I won't go yeah. into. But let's suffice to say that a nonfiction brand isn't making things up, isn't fronting, isn't pretending. It's embracing the completely true, completely you person and brand that you are. So, for example, if we were working together on your personal brand and you said, well, you know, I kind of like to use Gregory because I want people to be a little bit more respectful or impressed by who I am. I'd go, that's a mistake, dude. You're a Greg. I hate to say it. You're a Greg. I like, go the same fuck way, yourself. you know, and it's it. And that's not a bad thing. 
But a lot of people feel like, well, but I have to wear a tie and a blue blazer and stuff like that. And it's like, no, you don't. Not anymore. There was a time. You know, if you become a senator, yeah, there's a dress code for the floor of the Senate in the in Washington. Yeah. But most places, there is no more dress code. There is a, you know, obviously you got to wear shoes and shirts or you get no service. Yeah. But there is no... Yeah, there is no expectation or very little expectation. And you can you can do whatever you want. So the question is, if the thing you want to do, is that truly reflective of who you are? Me, I hate neckties. If I go to some place where a necktie is expected, I'll find a way not to wear one. Or or I'll forget to bring one. You know, I'll quote forget. Yeah. So no. with the this fictional branding and non-fictional, now I'm assuming the personal self, but then you also have your professional self. How do you choose when to embrace that non-fiction versus your fiction? Well, I'm I'm telling you as an individual, you don't ever fictionally brand yourself. I don't try <laughs> to come off better than I am. I embrace who I am. What are you talking about? Everybody does. Like world's best-selling author. Like how many are there? <laughs> well, exactly. And that and that's where I go. Number one, the whenever you see that, you know, uh, unless you are a legitimate New York Times best-selling author, to claim that you are a best-selling author on Amazon is laughable because I know how that game is played. I made a you you get somebody who hires a bunch of people and they or you buy a bunch of copies yourself and you inflate those so that one day for one hour you were the best-selling author in your very niche category. So then you can say Amazon best-selling author. That to me is a Flipping lie. You put it and on I Amazon. There's a it, it gives you a number as best selling author. Yeah, I'm best selling author, but they leave out the number of two million nine hundred and ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And if you're in a niche like best selling business author on management of ferrets as a category, yes, I'm the number one best selling author on Amazon in business under managing ferrets. Is that impressive? Not to me. If you buy into those kind of faux metrics, anyone who leads with that, I just go, okay, I'm not buying you. Like, uh, I don't mean to insult anyone, but I will say that I derisively say that anyone who leads with TEDx speaker, I go, oh, TEDx, the kid's table of TED. If you're a TED speaker... (laughs) You don't need to say you're a TED speaker because you're big enough to be on the stage at TED. If you're a TEDx speaker, you could be at TEDx Pocatello, Idaho. Big whoop. Okay, so this brings a a good little point to address. So for somebody that has the experience, the knowledge, and the wisdom to be able to step up and say what needs to be said, but how do they do that? Because you got to flash some sort of credentials that puts you into the hot seat. Like, where's that line? Okay. Think LinkedIn profile, right? Mm -hmm. You've got the stuff you lead with, and then you've got the stuff that goes down the page. It gets more detailed, right? It's kind of like the overview stuff up top, and then more and more detail as you go down the webpage. Mm -hmm. You definitely want to have that you spoke at TEDx on that page, but is it what you lead with? 
the fact is, it's not that difficult to become a TEDx speaker. It's like, I spoke to the Kiwanis Club in my local town. God, you know, it, it, it's a little bit more than that. Yeah, you have to apply and you have to follow a format that is kind of the TED format and they work with you and all that stuff. So, yeah, there's some value in that. I, I don't mean to poo-poo it 100%, but if that's what you're leading with, that's like saying, I went to college as your lead. Uh, well, you know, okay, great. That qualifies you for something. But if you went to Harvard, but even people who went to Harvard get ripped on about that because they always find uh, within 30 seconds of meeting you a way to mention that they went to Harvard. It's yes, like, they do. <laughs> it's like, dude, if you're, if you have to whip out your diploma to impress me, I'm not impressed. How about you impress me with your thought leadership, the way you're making me think, the way you're making me, huh, wow, never thought of that. You're interesting. And then you go back and you look at all the things that are like the, what I call the back of the baseball card. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a regular baseball card has a baseball player on the front with their bat or out and fielding a ball or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then on the back, you see the stats, you know, what's the, what's their RBIs, how many games have they played, all that stuff. The front <laughs> of your baseball card is more important than the stats on the back. Yeah. I can't stop laughing. Like when you said, like if they went to Harvard, they somehow find a way to get it in. That's what fucking Tim Ferriss does. Everybody. <laughs> to he has to interject it within two minutes of the conversation i'm like oh my god just shut the fuck up well and and that's the whole thing it's like there are people who are impressed by that i'm not one of them if that's where you got to go to try to impress me it's not working dude and by the way that's part of my brand which is i judge people not by the quality of their resume but the quality of the person who's in front of me impressing me, telling me stuff I don't know, sharing with me. And anyone who kind of leads with, this is the size of my Johnson? Come on. Yeah, it just shows that they're they're actually not to be trusted, and they'll fuck you over the moment they get that chance, or it's just business, per se. Well, or that they're so shallow and vapid that that's what they lead with. Because here's the yeah. thing. There is a dumbest person at Harvard, meaning there is a bottom of the class. Like, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, at West Point, George Custer was a cadet at West Point. I'm, yes, very aware of that. And he was the lowest performing cadet at West Point. Yes. And I it actually, kind of proved no. true at uh, Little Bighorn. He was a... Uh, <laughs> He loved his long flowing locks, his wonderful blonde hair, mm -hmm. and everybody around him knew that he was, uh, you know, mostly hot air. Yeah. And then he got his entire command killed. Good job, George. Well, we could thank him because he actually uh, put all the state parks into uh, protection. He, he, I know he did something with delegating is enough enough land to be protected so we wouldn't destroy it all. Well, are you thinking about Teddy Roosevelt? 
Because oh, he was shit. the shit. Yes, that's him. Thank you. Yep, yep. Teddy Roosevelt uh, created the first national park, which was Yellowstone. Yes. God damn it. People. Yeah. No. Calling. No worry. Yeah. No worries. But but that's the thing. Custer. He he on paper went to West Point. He on paper was a, a I think a colonel, not even a general. I'm not sure. I may have gotten that wrong. But uh, he proved his competency in a very very painful way. Or his lack of competency, I should say. So there's multiple ways that we could illustrate ourselves. Like, what? what's the best way? Should it be what works with us? I mean, I try to illustrate myself through the character, through my actions, the words that I say, and it's congruent with the outcome that I desire. Yeah, well, absolutely. But I'm going to get a little bit more specific than... The kind of be who you are thing, which is absolutely true. You have to be who you are. One of my Yoda phrase for what I teach is know who you are so you can be it. You know, what does that mean, Jedi Master? It means you have to know who you are. Because I see it all the time where you've got all these influencers out there who are trying to be something they naturally are not. Yes, and it then you find nuts. out after five years of doing that, they burn out and can't do it because that's not who they are. Exactly. Meanwhile, uh, let's look at Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. Mm-hmm. You probably are aware of him. Everybody is, yes. right? Yes. You can go back on YouTube and see the very first wine library video he ever did in like 2004. I think it was 2004. Mm-hmm. And he looks like he's in his basement. He looks like he's being held by the Bordeaux Liberation Front as he talks about this wine that, you know, he, he literally was working out of the family-owned liquor store someplace in New Jersey. And it's shot on a terrible camera. Uh, he's got all the personality of drywall, but a little bit more than that. Yeah, And you can see where Gary V started. We all know him as this kind of bombastic, flamboyant, out there, F-bomb dropping guy who's now in his 40s but still insists on wearing a, a, a beanie type cap half the time. And he's surrounded by 20-year-olds who want to be just like him, able to drop an F-bomb right and left all over the place. Well, here's the, the reality. Gary V doesn't have to work hard. He has to be who he is. He absolutely is 100% authentic to who I believe him to be. I believe if I met him, we would have a fascinating conversation, and he would not disappoint me at all. Meanwhile, he's surrounded by all these primarily young men who want to be like him. They want to be the next Gary V. So they literally act like Gary V. We've all seen the idiots who stand in front of Lamborghini's pack you know with fat stacks of cash talking about how you can get a six figure income in 60 days and the answer to that is bs the only way you can do that is deal drugs you know the reality (laughs) of it is you got to work your butt off to get anything you're going to get and the only way you can sustain it is by being who you are it's that old saying if you're not a liar you don't have to waste any time remembering your lies I don't have to waste any time remembering my lies because I don't tell lies. I am who I am. I know who I am and Mm -hmm. I am being it. The question for you and your audience is, 
Have you done the work to really understand who you are? It might surprise you because guess what? Who you think you are is not necessarily the same as who other people think you are. And just bear with me as I take you through this. I teach a thing called, I call it the key three. Why? Because we can only remember three things. Come on, we have limited brain space. We're human beings. But three things to remember about yourself are who you are, what you do, and how you do it. And so consequently, have you discovered the three words, phrases, or concepts that truly reflect who you are, what you do, and how you do it? For myself, my three words are creative. Yes, I have to be on the creative side of the fence for everything. You will never get a spreadsheet from me. Good. Collaborative. I have to work with other people. I can't do it all myself. Even if I work by myself a lot, I still have to work with other people to to learn their stories, to tell their stories, to help them. And also, even with myself, my podcast, I have to have guests. Could I come up with a podcast that doesn't have guests? Sure. Would it be as interesting to me? Absolutely not. Why? Because I need to collaborate with other people. The third word concept that uh, I use is provocative. And this came about not because I thought of it, but because I asked the people who know me best, what is the most important thing I can do for you? Or what do you, what do I do best? I thought they might say something like, oh, you're kind of funny. You uh, get the people going. Yeah, you, well, you can you can get people excited or interested, uh, you know, stuff like that. I, I I thought they might say you write pretty well because I've been doing it my entire professional life. I'm a writer, right? I thought they'd say you're a pretty good writer. I heard this over and over again when I asked that question. What do I do best? Some variant of you make me think. And I'm like, what does that mean? I make you think, well, you always like, if I come to you with a piece of writing, you find a way to make it better. Or you ask me, couldn't, would it be better if you did it this way or whatever? I, I literally provoke thought. And I like the word provocative because there's a little bit of a poke edge to it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's because I always want to be kind with any type of critique I give, but I also want to make you think about it. Like, Hey, that's pretty good, but it's not great. What if you did this, poke, poke, poke? And making people think is a dangerous thing. I once heard a saying from somebody that if you make people laugh, they will love you. If you make them think, they will hate you. And I I still consider what that actually means, but you can see it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think when I do certain things. I love doing that thing. I have to think when I do this thing, I don't like it. Other people will be like me. I like to think about things. So that's the stuff I'll think out. I will think like this is a kind of wait. Hold on. Before before we I don't want you monologuing too long. So when you get people thinking, because I feel like I have that effect. And then you said that they will hate you. Literally, that's. It feels like my life right there is because I try to inspire, I try to motivate, I try to share this new knowledge that I come across when I'm constantly studying, constantly reading, and I share it. And now all of a sudden they hate me because it's it's the way it's being delivered. It could be condescending when I 
try to be aware of how I approach these situations, how I deliver it, no matter all the contexts I take, left and right, everything, just, it still get, it gets off negative. And it's like, what the fuck? Okay, well, number this. one, you can't make anybody think anything. They True. think themselves. If, like, I, I, I'm a writer. I love words. I love words that not necessarily everybody uses. Yes. The reality is, and I don't know the exact number, but you can live your entire life using only about 5,000 words. I use about 50,000 words because I enjoy it. They are the colors on my palette. And as an artist, as a word-oriented artist, I want to use every color sooner or later. And it's not that I'm trying to shine people on or be better than them or anything like that. It's it's the way I think. It's the way I roll. And I I feel the pain. I hear the pain in your voice when you say, I'm actively working on bettering myself. I want to share that with other people. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to better themselves. Because that's kind of what you're really saying. But also the showing the is, light. Sharing the light that there is a better version that is obtainable and yes yes well until they get to the point where they want to attain it they aren't going to try to get better they don't and for whatever reason i can't i can't do their psychology i can work on my psychology and i'm not uh, there's a old saying that the people who got you there are not the people are going to keep you going the people who got you where you are today aren't necessarily the people who are going to get you where you're going to be going in your life path. You know, uh, you know Steve Harvey, the great comedian, mm-hmm. he talks about that all the time. You know, yeah. all the guys he hung out on the street, they still want him to be Steve Harvey guy on the street when he's Steve Harvey, the multimillionaire mm-hmm. who has TV shows and, uh, you know, all sorts of products and stuff for sale. And he legitimately for himself and i'm i'm paraphrasing the story he tells himself he realized oh just because they were with me then they can't be with me now because i'm not there then anymore i am on a trajectory i want to bring everybody along with me on that trajectory but guess what they get to vote they don't have to go along that trajectory and when they choose not to follow the trajectory that you're on, there there's going to be resentment on their part. Because, the, okay, there is oh, no. a concept. Hold on. I, yep. I see what you're saying. The fact that you're on this trajectory, you're still going towards the higher level for yourself. But the fact is your presence was in their presence to show them that, hey, this way is the right way. And if they choose not to follow, then that's on them. It is. Yeah. If if you are literally trudging through the snowdrifts, creating the, this path behind you and giving them, come on, all the encouragement, all the tools, all the information and insight, and they don't want to follow because it's tough walking through snowdrifts, who is that on? Not you. You're the one breaking trail. If they don't want to follow the trail, that's on them. And the thing is, you can want them to come along. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had any family members who are, uh, cursed with addiction of any kind, but mm. 
If you have, you know, you can do everything possible to try to help them out. And they won't take it because of whatever's going on in their life. And you can't fix them. There comes a point where you have to say, I love you. I will help you. If you call me up in the middle of the night needing help, you can always count on me. But I will not condone the behavior that you're doing now. And if that behavior is more important to you than our relationship, I'm sorry, but I'm not signing up for that. Bam. Wait. Now, as a leader, someone that's trying to motivate a large mass of people to get them to follow them, is there a difference from what you're explaining versus trying to influence this people to follow you? Well, a big part of that, you're kind of getting into the whole conversation about culture. Like if yes. you're a business or an organization and you want to create a culture of high-performing individuals that are very collegial and very, you know, they're like comrades. I, I want to compare them. I want, I, want, I want to be able to compare those in real time for people to understand. Yeah, okay. Well, number one, it's easier to start a culture from scratch than change a culture. So let's just admit that from the get-go. And I know you served in the military, right? I've never served. Yeah, I've never served, but uh, I am aware of the brands that are the armed forces of the United States of America. And I would just ask anybody, is there a difference between a U.S. Marine and uh, an Army soldier? And the answer most people would say was, yeah, there's a a huge cultural difference. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I will say this, the Marines, oh my God, one, once you're a Marine, you're never a Marine, or you're never not a Marine. And what I mean by that is I worked for an organization that dealt with a lot of veterans and you would never say retired Marine. Why? Because once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. You could say a retired army general or whatever, but never with Marines. It was it was hammered home. Why? Because the Marine culture is once you're a Marine, you are never not a Marine. And they tout the founding, you know, the founding of the Marine Corps in that tavern in Baltimore or wherever it was in 17 blankety blank, whatever the year was. Mm, yeah. If I were talking to a real Marine, they'd be able to tell me all about it. Why? Mm. Because that is inculcated in them. That sense of pride and culture is is surrounding them, not only when they're serving, but when they exit service. Again, they never retire. They're still a Marine. Mm -hmm. But there's a huge difference. So you're asking, how do you create a culture like that? Well, number one. You find the true believers who have that flame of of whatever the truth of your brand is in their heart. And a lot of companies, I, I like to tell anybody who's got less than 50 employees, your company is you. You, the founder, the CEO, the president, the, the head person, you are the DNA of your company. And everybody will be looking to you for the example of how they should act, how they should react. And then certain people within the company are going to embrace that DNA that you've provided them better than others. Identify those keepers of the flame of your brand internally and empower them to create with you the culture 
that will be enforced by everybody within that culture. And then be slow to hire, fast to fire. If you're slow to hire because you're hiring not for resume, not for apparent skill set, but because they share the key values and morals that you do, knowing that if they're smart, you can teach them anyway, anything. Hire for taste and talent and that innate, I want to be what you guys are. And then if they prove not to be that, if they are just a good interview at a a job interview, get rid of them quickly, kindly, but quickly. Because a cancer, all it takes is one cell to turn a culture cancerous. Yeah. And and what you said, like, it's a developmental role. Like, if you don't know, you will learn the concepts. They will give you the tools. That's what learning organizations today are inspiring to do for their people. But with influencing and motivating somebody to see your perspective, like, how is that done for a leader that doesn't know how to do that yet? Well, there's the whole management philosophy of managing by walking around, meaning get out of your office, stop looking at the spreadsheets and the reports for at least 50% and start walking around the, the shop floor the uh, you know the back office. Uh, if you have multiple stores, hop on that truck. You know it's an old story about Sam Walton of Walmart that the the big truck would show up with the new stuff. They'd open the door of the the big truck, and there's Sam Walton standing there, waiting to see who's greeting this truck. Do they have what's needed to get the stuff out of the truck fast? You know, and literally. There was a little bit of fear there. It's like, crap, am I going to open up this truck and find Sam Walton staring at me? Well, if that's what you want people to understand, you got to be Sam Walton in the truck. There is nothing. There is no, you know, embroidered fleece that is going to make someone feel part of your company. But if your president walks up to you one day out of the blue and says, you know what? I heard that you saved us. $15,000 because you found a better supplier for this product that we, we use. Thank you for that. Oh, and by the way, I got you an iPad. (laughs) What would you do when you walked home and talked to your spouse? You will not believe what happened today. The president of the company came up to me and praised me, you know, gave me this. And look, I got a brand new iPad out of it. It's not about the iPad. The big thing that excited the person is the president of the company talked to me and said, thank you. Get out of your office and into the lives of the people who work with you to build the kind of culture you want to have. Wow. No, that hits home right there. And I feel like that little iPad seals the deal as in like, you know what? That's my style. Take a fucking iPad. I don't give a fuck like this. Yeah. Well, and the whole thing is, even if the guy never uses it and just gifts it to his kids, it's still a iPads, you know, they aren't terribly expensive, but they also are not cheap. Mm -hmm. Logo wear does nothing. And this is my, you know, personal opinion. Logo wear does nothing to engender culture, but recognition of the great work you're doing 
with a little bit of significant gifting. And it could be cash. It could be gift cards. It could be, uh, uh, maybe you do trophies. I think award ceremonies are great, but award ceremonies are terrible for the people who aren't getting an award. The person yeah. who's left out, it feels like crap. And I'm, I'm not a big believer in participation trophies, but you know, it's a fine line. You have to inspire people and reward them appropriately. But don't forget, just by shining the light over here can make some people mm, a little bit iffy about it. If they are too negative about it, you do need to get rid of them. If they aren't inspired by it, maybe maybe they're the wrong person for the culture you're trying to build. Wow. That's that's huge. I mean, that's something that's very interesting. And I'm looking back when I was getting my awards for all the hard work I was doing in my service. There was a couple people that were like, that. I'm like, why you got to be such a dick? But then it turns out later on, they were a bad apple and they end up getting kicked out of the fucking military. I'm not gonna oh, yeah. And, and that's the thing. Not everybody's fixable. Because here's the thing. You can't fix them. They have to fix themselves. And the way they do that, some people have to hit bottom multiple times before they finally wake up and go, you know what? I need to change my attitude and I need to, and that change comes from within them. Meaning a midlife crisis. What if they experienced that already and they still haven't fucking pulled their head out of their ass? Um, (laughs) some people unfortunately have head up the ass syndrome. And we're, let, let me tell you, and sometimes they're members of your family. Mm-hmm. I, it can be very painful. I mean, I don't know about you, but I literally have written family members out of my life because they were not good for my life. Yes. You mm-hmm. gave them chance after chance after mm-hmm. chance after chance, and you just realize, oh, they, they want me to live in their world as opposed to the world we all share. Sorry, I'm not going to live in your world. I'm a citizen of our shared world. Anytime you want to come back to that world, open arms. But until you make the change, there's literally nothing I can do about it. And when they do come back, and it's just a way to to pull you back in to try to get you into theirs, there has to be a limit to putting yourself out there to allow these people back in. Oh yeah, absolutely. If they've already done the three strikes, you're out thing, they don't get three more strikes. They get, Oh, (laughs) that was another strike. So see ya. And by the way, we're, we're done, done now. Because, because I have no time for manipulators or people who demand that you live in their world. So love can be a bitch when, it comes to realizing these factors that are affecting you when you're trying to help somebody, when you're trying to get to pick them up, give it two years, three years. Next thing you know, you lose yourself. And then oh, yeah. The, and then the individual still d- got you to come down to their level when all you were trying to do is pull them up. But every time it was a little bit lower, a little bit lower, and you think you're helping, but now you realize you just lost yourself and you don't know who you are and everything that you thought you illustrate is now a representation of the person you were trying to help. 
So how do you get out of that? Well, you do the Steve Harvey thing. The pe- recognize that the people who got you to where you are are not the people who are going to necessarily follow you forward. And if they can't move forward from where they are, they will always seek to tear you down to their level. Why? It's the only, it's like they're clawing at you. You know, okay, so one of the things you learn when you're a lifeguard is if someone is drowning, do not allow them to climb on you because they will climb on you to try to push you down to get them up. That's Mm -hmm. what they're doing. These people are drowning. If you heartfelt want to help them do what lifeguards do, which is, and I, I trained as a lifeguard a long, long time ago. They teach you how to do a cross arm carry where you're, you're pulling them toward the shore. Mm -hmm. The second they start flailing, I was trained to dunk them underwater, to rotate them underwater so that they would let go so that I could then re-engage with them to pull them back. That's a lifeguard. You don't have to be someone's lifeguard. Interesting. Okay. No, I like that. Holy shit. I feel like we hit a lot of great topics and I want to start wrapping this up. How would you create a transformation in others that there wasn't any transformation in yourself? Uh, I'm not sure I understand your question. If you're trying to inspire people to transform themselves. Yes. The best thing you can do is example. Provide the example. You know. uh, But what if if you don't have that ability? So I'm going to say it again. How do you create a transformation in others if there's no transformation in yourself? Well, you're constantly working towards transforming yourself toward whatever your goals are. So, yeah, I mean, our there are people who peak in high school, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I won the state championship and that's the best thing I'll ever do in my life. I was not that guy. I still have not peaked and I'm significantly older than you, young man. And I am not going to peak until the day after I die because I still have stuff to learn. And so that act of transformation, again, believe me, it inspires the right people in your life. They see you doing it and think, oh, I could do that. And frankly, you're a resource. So I can go to you and ask, how did you do that? Or what do you think I should do to, to start doing that for myself? So your act of transformation is actually the catalyst for those other people in their lives who are interested in transforming their lives. So yeah, transformation is absolutely necessary. And I assume, based on the fact that you have a podcast and that you're doing what you're doing, that you are continually transforming. So one, you're doing the transformation. Two, you're doing the inspiration. And three, you're you're opening up your arms in your toolbox of all the things you know how to do that could help them and sharing it with them. It's up to them to make the step toward your toolbox and toward your loving arms, you know? And if they don't do it, that's on them. I kind of also see it as an avenue for a way to help me. Like, as you said earlier, starting a podcast to help yourself speak better, to recognize the the language that you're using, the tonality, the context, the tack to deliver the message. But for me, I feel like there's much more that I need to grasp on delivering a message. And it's understanding the situation 
am I understanding before I try to deliver to the audience? Am I delivering it in a way that can be perceived by the avatar? Well, it it comes with um, the ability to tell stories effectively. The most effective means of transmission of information between humans is story. And that's been that way. I love to say it's been that way since Og and Mog were around the fire talking about how Schlag got himself killed because he didn't put the spear in the right place on the Mastodon. Literally, that was that was the way the little the little cavemen learned how to kill a Mastodon. Oh, you have to put it right there. It's true. Is is there any way that you've learned anything in your life that wasn't learned via story transmission? You're Even right. if it's how to open your computer and, you know, why is YouTube so popular as a how-to channel for everything from changing a washer in, uh, in a faucet to how to tune your car's engine? Because those videos tell stories. They show stories. And that that's a huge lesson. Instead of telling stories, find ways to show stories. And it's it's kind of weird to say that a podcast is showing a story, but it, it really is. It isn't just saying, first do this, then do this, then do this. It's telling stories. Like, how many different uh, anecdotes have we shared during this conversation like A today? whole shit ton. And that is way, that's how it is painting the story, is by the language that we're using and the understanding of the avatar, which is the common language that they understand. But be able to put these words, anecdotes, uh, quotes, sayings together to illustrate our point of view, but also to have a point in the conversation that we're trying to make. Yeah, well, and you again, I chose to relate an anecdote about Steve Harvey, an American comedian. I didn't choose to quote a French philosopher from the 17th century. Why is that? My avatar doesn't know who Rene Descartes is. You're not but from they, Harvard. They probably know who Steve Harvey is. Yeah. You're not from Harvard. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm not from Harvard either. You know, I went to a state school in Wisconsin, which makes me more of a Greg than a Gregory. Oh shit! I like this. Like th- this is how it should be. These are these are the conversations that I try to get when I have people on. But sometimes it gets it's too much, and then I try to just break it. You know, like it's just no regurgitated information. Just let it flow, and then they still keep falling back to the pitch. And then it's just then it's just yeah. all right. Well, a lot of people are trying to sell something. Yeah, I'm not trying to sell it something i'm trying to demonstrate who i am what i do and how i do it if some of your listeners go oh that dp guy is pretty smart i like his the way he tells stories he's kind of funny and then they find out that oh look i have a book for sale nonfiction brand discover craft and communicate the completely true completely you brand you already are maybe they'll go to amazon and buy the damn thing you look better in person well, on, on the video than you do on the picture. Well, the the picture, okay. Well, for listeners who haven't seen the cover of the book, there is a photo of me on the cover of the book. Now, mm-hmm. 
You might think that's because I'm a raging narcissist. Well, I don't think I'm a raging narcissist. I'm I, I'm probably a little bit, but I, I definitely cover, attract those. <laughs> yeah, I put the my book on the uh, my photo on the cover of the book because number one, as an author, my book's going to be somewhere in the book. But mm-hmm. two, because of the nature of the book, all about personal branding and the desire for you to create a personal brand that allows you to step out of the shadows into your own personal spotlight. Sometimes you just need to step forward and say, this is who I am, what I look like, the way I talk, the way I tell stories. If you like it, great, let's talk some more. If you don't like it, even better, because then I don't have to waste any time on you. I can instead lavish it on the people who appreciate who I am, what I do, and how I do it. Yes, because those are the people that will care, is the ones, will actually will buy your book, is the ones that actually want to read it. Well, okay. and, and, and to quote the, uh, the brilliant bard of our time, haters going to hate, 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 hate. There's nothing you can do about that. And that's not my problem. Haters, I don't have time for them. And frankly, I don't care. Why? Because I am comfortable in who I am, what I do, and how I do it. And the personal brand that I'm building and what I'm trying to share with other people. If they don't want to pick up the gift that I'm giving, that's not on me because I'm giving gifts. Mm, I want one. What do you you got over there? All right. Well, one, any listener can go to my my website, dpknewton.com, spelled D as in David, P as in Paul, E uh, and then Knewton, K-N-U, D as in David, T as in Tom, E as in Edward, N as in nothing. Dot com slash gift, dpknewton.com slash gift. And you can download three free PDFs. You don't even have to sign up for my email list if you're not interested. But they're PDFs that are worksheets. One is a series of five questions that can get you thinking about your personal brand. You know, like get down to the brass tacks of what is your personal brand. Then two others are actual tip sheets on what you can do to start building your personal brand for free on social media starting today. You know, this is not some, well, you have to do 15 years of work on this to be able to start. No, you can mm-hmm. start today u- utilizing a tool I call the unselfish selfie. It's a way to turn selfies into fantastic ways to shine a spotlight on other people. And here's the thing about spotlights. You shine it on someone else, it reflects back onto you. The unselfish selfie, powerful technique And then another one is turning people's comments sections into a conversation via a tool I call the like plus. It's not just give them a thumbs up like, but add to that comment and begin a conversation with them. And let me tell you, if you start liking people that you think are flying, you know, thousands of feet above you in a flock of people that you can never hang with, you're wrong. All you have to do is engage with them, get known by them. They see the value that you're bringing to them. And then if you're, God forbid, you're ever able to meet them in person and you walk up and say, hey, I'm DP. They'll go, I know you from LinkedIn. You're always in my comments. So great to meet you. By the way, I read that article you sent me. Really great. I want to talk to you about that. What about the book? Did you read the book? (laughs) <laughs> the, yeah, well, that, that'd be the other thing is to read their book and to comment on it or 
even better, give it a, rev- a review on Amazon.com. So if you want to pick up a copy of the Nonfiction Brand book, go to Amazon, look up Nonfiction Brand, and maybe add in the word Knuton, K-N-U-D-T-E-N, and you'll find it. And then if you read it, by all means, write a review because that really helps other people find it. Beautiful. Thanks for joining us on this adventure of growth and discovery. If you're ready to achieve a sustainable transformation, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you've enjoyed the show and want to support it, take a moment to leave a podcast review on Apple or your favorite podcast platform. Stay connected with us on social media for behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspiring quotes, and the latest updates. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Just search for YTS The Podcast. Until next time, remember, change is constant and transformation is inevitable. Embrace the journey and keep rocking your way towards a better you. Stay bold, stay curious, and stay true to yourself. See you next time on your Transformation Station.